We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning, starting in chapter 3. We're going to kind of vary the order of things up a little bit, but if you are here with us for the first time, if, you're, um, if your kids came to Camp Living Hope and this is your first Sunday with us, I'm so glad that you're here. I'd love the chance to get to meet you or meet you again, and so some of our staff will be back here in the lobby, back behind me whenever we are done. Today, we'd love the chance to do that. Uh, this, uh, this morning, we're going to continue with a series that we're kind of doing through July, as far as um, like a sermon series of sorts, just revisiting some Old Testament stories that uh, maybe you grew up uh, looking, like learning about, and, and you might remember some of these, or maybe heard some of them, or um, maybe there's a Veggie Tale song that you connect with it, or something like that. But looking at some of these songs that a lot, of, these uh, stories that a lot of times are associated with children, but the reality is they're they're there for us as well. These are. Um, these are stories that we're supposed to learn from. Last week, I began this story, and this kind of had to split things in two because there was just a lot of content there. And so let me, let me kind of just catch us up on the actual text. The, um, king Nebuchadnezzar was uh, the king of Babylon, and they, uh, he had a, a very vast kingdom, and was, he was all into conquering other kingdoms and stuff. That's kind of his deal. And so uh, he gathered all of the leaders of all of his territory, um, everyone that was in leadership, he p- brought them all together there at, at the capital, and he had this, uh, this thing built. It was 90 feet tall, it was about nine feet wide, it was covered in gold, and it was an image of some sort that was there to worship uh, his God and what he wanted to be the national God. And so he, he said, I'm going to have all my leaders come together for, to dedicate this big statue. And he told them all, whenever the music sounds, everyone's going to bow and worship this image together in unity. And, um, and by the way, if you don't bow down and worship, uh, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And so, um, so the music sounded, everyone bowed down uh, except for three guys. And uh, their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were not their given Jewish names. Those were names given to them by Nebuchadnezzar. Because when he went into Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem, he took uh, all kinds of things back to the capital with him. But one of the things he took were were the the brightest young men he could find. He brought them back. He tried to deprogram them from all of their Jewish upbringing and reprogram them to be able to help him. And these three guys were Jewish and yet uh, he had br- brought them back and tried to, and put them in places of leadership in his kingdom. And so when everyone went to bow down, the three, these three guys who were Jewish did not bow down. And word got back to him that they did not bow down. And so he called them in and said, it was basically like, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. So we're going to pick up in verse 15 of chapter 3. It says, now if you're ready when you, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, uh, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music. Um, and you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said uh, to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So this made him super angry, and so he had them heat the the furnace really, really hot. He had them tied up and bound, 
Let's skip down to verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now this is like the most perfect outcome, right? It's so ideal. It's like the end of a, it's like the end of Rocky or something. We're like, man, everything worked out. That was that's so neat. Like everything happened. They uh, they were rescued from the fire. Um, God was glorified. They got a promotion. Like everything about it is like really really ideal. Um, and it would be nice if that is how life went for us all the time. But it isn't. And these guys, they knew it, you know. They were hoping this would be the outcome, but they knew that this may, this may not be the way it goes down. Look back at verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. So verse 17, they're like, okay, is he able to get us out of this jam? Yes. He's able to deliver us from the torture that is coming our way. Verse 18 says, but if not, and there's one translation that's, that phrases it this way, but even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Is he able? Absolutely. Is it possible that he may not? Absolutely. Now, I don't want us to be out of touch with reality, okay? Jesus came to put us in touch with reality. Through his life and through the scriptures, he's like, look, you need to know what's real and what's true. And I don't want us to be the kind of Christians uh, who just put on a happy face and act like life is always good all the time. You know, that every time you, every time you come to church, everyone's like, oh, I'm just so blessed and everything's so happy and all that. And we, we put on this facade and then we go back to our lives that are like, difficult, right? Like church should not be the most fake place in the community. It should be the most real place in the community. And I don't want to be the kind of church that only tells you half of the gospel or like half of the story, half of the reality, just to get you in the room or just to keep you coming back to the room. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of, 
that going on in our world where the only thing you ever hear is really positive, really encouraging, really like K-Love-ish kind of stuff where it's just everything's happy, everything's, everything's happy, but yet that's inconsistent with how life happens. And so if you're here for the first time today, I just want you to know you picked a heavy one <laughs> because we're going to talk about suffering and how these three guys about to be thrown into a fire were like, look, this could go either way. They were in touch with that reality and we need to be in touch with that reality. And so I want to kind of use their story as an analogy and I'm going to make five points. And uh, so if you're a note taker, there you go. There'll be five big bullet points. And all these are simultaneously true. All right. The first one is that God is faithful. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. You don't need to turn to it. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Before we get into talking about suffering, we, we have to be on the same page that God is faithful. He is faithful to himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are always faithful to each other. He is faithful to his character. His character, he's, he's unchanging in his character. Um, he is faithful to the promises that he has made. Like he is committed to those promises. He is faithful to his church. He is married to us. Okay, he's a father to us as children. Pick your analogy. But he is absolutely faithful, does not change. Uh, that is bedrock for us. Okay, that's the first point. Second point. You will face fire. You will face fire. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to spend some time there. But you will face fire. Suffering is part of life in this broken world of ours. Don't ever let anyone tell you differently or act like if you are a Christian, if you'll just come to church, if you'll just put money in the offering plate then you will have no problems. You will have no difficulties. That everything will be hunky-dory all the time. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, he says, I've, I've told you, he basically like kind of gave a, a difficult report to his disciples. And he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In, this, in the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, that verse is meant to be a, not only a comfort, but it's also meant to put his disciples in touch with reality. It says you need to have your expectations put in the right place. And guess what your, your expectations need to know? That you are going to have some difficult days. That is a part of it. That the, the world that we live in was broken by sin near the beginning. Like in Genesis 3, God's like, let me, let me show you where things kind of went wrong. Is that man decided to challenge God and that kind of broke everything. And so suffering is a certainty. And the, the fire, quote unquote, that we face, it's going to be different for all of us. There's, there's a lot of the possibilities. Now, the chances are very low that any of you will ever like, be thrown into a furnace, okay, because of your faith. But there are different other kinds of fires that we will face. Look, this is what 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 has. If you can look at it or you can look on the screens. 
Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In those two verses, he, he, he starts to like kind of spread out the suffering a little bit. It's like, now some of you are going to suffer in this way, but others will suffer in this way and this way and this way. He kind of spreads it around. So verse eight, he says, we're afflicted. And that word, that, that's talking about like spiritual difficulty. Okay, that's, um, that's attack from our enemy. That's seasons of doubt, seasons of uh, feeling like God is distant, like those kind of like, like difficulties that we have. That's afflicted. Perplexed, okay, that's, that's mental, that's emotional, uh, emotional struggle and difficulty. He um, says, verse 9, we're persecuted. Okay, that's social, that's relational, like that's, uh, that's, that's, that's here, that's in like the horizontal sense. Um, and he says we're struck down. That's talking about physical stuff. Paul was sick. Uh, there were times when he was beaten, you know, those kind of things. So that's like, so a part of what he's saying is like, look, uh, I've experienced suffering across the board in my life. I've, I'm ho- I've holistically suffered. That that is a part of what life in this world brings to us. Um, that there are times when, when that attack, that suffering is going to be spiritual, times when it's going to be mental or emotional, times when it's social, relational, times when, when it is like you're physically like being attacked. But whatever it is, like um, difficulty is coming your way. First Peter 4.12, he says it this way. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You know, he's like, hey, don't, don't flip out when one day you, like you, you start feeling bad and you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, I have some difficult news for you. Don't act like that's like out of nowhere. It's like, no, that's, and that's kind of to be expected because our bodies are broken. Don't be mad when someone betrays you and, and there's a, a friendship or a relationship that goes south because that's a part of the brokenness that we carry. You know, don't freak out when, when all of a sudden you're tempted to do something that you know goes against who you are and who Jesus has made you to be. Don't freak out when you have like some seasons where you are just like bottomed out, depressed, whatever, you know. Don't act surprised because suffering is, uh, it's on the menu. And not on the menu like you go to a restaurant, you get to pick out what you want. It's on the menu like you go to a wedding rehearsal dinner and it's like, we're having fish, you know, like that kind of thing. Like it's, it's happening we need to set our expectations in reality. And look, none of us escapes it. Jesus came to the earth. God himself did not escape it. He was afflicted. He was perplexed. He was persecuted. He was struck down. It is a part of the human experience. And I love a good positive church service. I like hope. I like optimism. I like praying for healing. I like like all those things and all those things are great and we need to do them and believe in them. But there is always, there needs to be this understanding that like, yeah, we're, we're going to battle. So you will face the fire. I will face fire. We need to have our expectations in that reality. So point one, God is faithful. Point two, you will face fire. Point three, God is able to deliver you from the fire. That whatever affliction or persecution or perplexion, I don't know if that's a word, or uh, being struck down, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever that fire looks like, he's able to deliver. Um, the scriptures, 
the, the history of the church, human history, our own lives are just testified to the power of God. Jeremiah 10 verse 12 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, by his understanding stretched out the heavens. The power of God is on display through creation. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The powerful working of God raising Jesus from the dead, that the most permanent thing for us in the world, which is death, he is even more powerful than that to reverse that. So in terms of like, is he able to do this? Absolutely. Whatever it is you're facing, without, without exception, he is able to rescue you from that. And we got to ask for it. We got to pray for it. We got to believe it. We got we to gotta hope for it. We, we live in the age of miracles still. And so I don't want to discourage anyone from praying and believing that God's going to do something miraculous in our lives because he does do that. And we got to believe it and we got to challenge each other. So please don't hear me discouraging you from that. And even in, in all of our lives across this room, we can all have lists of things where God has done something that just blew your mind that only he can do. So that's the third point, that he is able to deliver you from the fire. It's not about ability. Here's the fourth point, and this is the, this is the one that stinks, is that sometimes God delivers from the fire, but sometimes he does not. Sometimes he delivers from the fire, sometimes he does not. In other words... Sometimes God chooses to let us suffer the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in touch with this reality. So he's able to deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. This is a difficult thing to process, that God would allow us to suffer. And it makes it hard sometimes when you are suffering or someone you love is suffering, or you're just watching the news and you're like, whoa, where, where is the God that I lift my hands to on Sundays and that I sing to and that I love? Where's the all-powerful God who did this and this and this and this? Um, where is he? It makes it hard sometimes to be around Christians. It makes it hard to go to church sometimes, especially if the church is just putting on a happy face all the time and acting like these things aren't real. And so it's a tough reality, and I don't, I'm not at all under the uh, um, illusion that I'm going to fix all that right here in one sermon. In fact, I'm kind of like dumb for even trying, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to just give you a few thoughts on this, on this point right here, this fourth point, that God sometimes chooses to let us suffer. These are not solutions. These are not answers. These are just things to maybe consider as we wrestle The first one is that maybe God looks at deliverance differently than we do. Like if the, if the idea is God is able to deliver me from the fire, but even if he doesn't, if it's about deliverance from those difficulties and that suffering, maybe he looks at what deliverance is differently than we do. Here's what I mean. If you're in St. Corinthians, I want to look again in chapter four, 
But skip down to verse 16. Paul, who had suffered greatly uh, for, for the gospel, like in order like, to bring the good news to people and to start new churches and all this kind of stuff. He had suffered in, in all those ways. And verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So here's this guy who's suffered so much, and he's sharing this wisdom with this congregation that he loves. And this congregation, they were a, they were a mess. They were such a mess. He's like, look, let me, let me show you some of the things that, that I've learned. And, and when, you, when you look at those verses, he... It's, it's, it's almost like he's learned to, to look at things in two different ways. Like he talks about the outer self versus the inner self. He talks about what is happening now versus what is happening in eternity. And he talks about what you can see versus what you can't see. And what that makes me wonder is, it, is God looking at our suffering and saying, hey, guess what? Deliverance has already happened. I have already delivered you from your suffering. But the way that he is looking at it is I've delivered, I've, like we're focused, on, we're focused on our outward, visible, immediate life. And he's looking at our inward, uh, yeah, our inward, invisible, eternal life. And he's like, yeah, but look, like nothing can really hurt you. Nothing can get to what matters because I've, I've already delivered you from that. Like, Jesus came and died, like he suffered and died on the cross so that when he was raised to life, you could be raised to life. Nothing can touch that. We can, you can be persecuted. You can have every relationship in your life broken. You can have the worst doctor's report imaginable, like whatever is going on that is happening to your outward, visible, immediate life. Like those things are, are absolutely difficult, but Maybe God's like, yeah, but, but what, about the, what about the untouchable parts of you? Cancer can't get to your inward life. Persecution can't get to your inward life. Betrayal can't get to your inner Like, nothing can touch that. And so maybe from his perspective, from God's perspective, deliverance has already happened. If you look back at verse 8, in chapter 4, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. All right? He's like, Yeah, we're afflicted. All right? Outward, immediate, seen stuff. But we're not crushed because you can't crush what's inward and what's eternal and what is unseen. You can't crush what Jesus has done. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Why? Because you can't touch what's real. Persecuted, but not forsaken, because he will never leave you or forsake you. Struck down, but not destroyed, because nothing can destroy what God is guarding with his life, which is our soul. Now, I don't want to make you mad, because I don't, like, 
And first of all, Paul is the one that called them light momentary afflictions. Okay. So don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting Paul. You can take it up with him on the new earth. But I don't want to make light of suffering. Because when you are going through the worst of the worst, you don't want someone to be like, well, just a light momentary affliction. Okay? Don't hear me making light of it. But we do need to realize that nothing can touch our souls, this treasure that God is guarding. And so maybe these three guys who, were, who didn't bow to the idol and weren't, like, were not unafraid to face the fire, maybe they were like, you know what, we've already been delivered, so what can fire do to me? Fire can't touch me. It can kill me, but it can't kill me. So maybe God looks at deliverance differently than we do. That's one thing to think about. Here's another one. Man, these are brutal. Who wrote these? Um, maybe God doesn't think that suffering is a bad thing. Maybe God doesn't think that suffering is a bad thing. Now, that's not to say that he enjoys it. Okay? Not for a second. But, uh, but only to say that he sees the outcome and he knows that it's worth it. Now, we hate it because it's super painful, right? Whatever, whatever fire we're walking through or will walk through or walk with someone else through, it is painful and we hate pain. And we don't see the point. Like, we don't see the outcome. Sometimes we're like, well, I know there is an outcome, but we don't know, like, what it is in detail, And you're kind of like, man, can anything good come from this thing that I'm going through? It might be a little bit like when when you have a a very young child who can't communicate and they are sick. And you take them to the doctor. And the doctor's talking to the parent. And the doctor's like, look, I know exactly what I'm doing. We need to do this to your child in order for them to be okay. Well, the child has no idea. Right? The child's just screaming their head off or doing whatever it is. And the doctor, the doctor's like, I, I know. The doctor's perspective is different from the child's perspective. And a lot of times when we are suffering, we're more in the, we're more in the child part of that analogy. Because all we know is we're hurting and we hate it and we want it to stop. But God is looking at it like, oh, well, I know the outcome. And it is, I have decided it is worth it to go through this difficulty because the outcome is going to pay off in the end. So he sees the point, and you know what? We have to submit to it. We, like, we have to just come to the point where we're like, you know what? He's, he's God. His ways are higher than mine. I am not. And so this is the reality of my situation. As I'm suffering in this way at this time, uh, I'm just going to trust the doctor. And that comes, like, that's a difficult thing because... Well, one, it's hard to admit that we just aren't working with all the information. Especially in our day and age when information is at our fingertips, literally, you know. And so when we're in that situation and God's like, no, the outcome is going to be worth it. And you're like, yeah, but, but I don't know what the outcome is. And until I do, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time getting on board. And he's like, well, you need to let go of your entitlement. You need to let go of your insistence on control. You need to let go of your idolatry of comfort. You need to stop projecting what you think goodness looks like in this situation onto me and just let me be good. 
So, yeah, that's a second little sub point. Here's another, another thought. Our God is a God who suffers. I don't just mean like he has suffered. I mean, he suffers like present tense. So the crucifixion of Jesus, the father suffered, the son suffered, the spirit suffered. There's no, no greater moment of suffering that has ever happened or will happen than, than, than that. Now, was it, was it full of hope? Well, yeah, on this side. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying and he's like, if this cup can, if there's another way to do this, you know, let's do that. He's the child, right? And the doctor's saying, nope, don't forget the outcome. Jesus says, oh yeah, the outcome, let's go for it. So God has suffered, okay? He's, he's not this uh, statue that we pray to. Uh, he's not this feelingless, emotionless, dead, false thing. He is real and he hurts and he weeps and he is with us. Not only the crucifixion, but his omnipresence. You know what that means? That means that he is everywhere in fullness all the time. And so every terrible thing that is happening in this exact moment, all over the planet, he's watching it. And so his suffering is constant. That's a hard thing. I was talking with, with, I was in kind of a little group counseling session one time with, with an abuse survivor and she said, where, where was God when this terrible thing was happening to me, which I won't talk about because there's no need. And so where was he when this was happening to me? And it just, it was just the right time to say it. This is not your standard answer. So please don't give this just haphazardly, but it was the spirit moved and it was just, he was right there. He was right there. Why, did, why didn't he step in? I, I don't know. Well, then what was he doing? Weeping would be my guess. But he wasn't off somewhere else tending to uh, other, other people, other parts of the world. He's there in fullness. And not only is he observing it because of his omnipresence, he, he lives in us as Christians. And so everything that we are going, he's literally feeling it also. And so we can't, we can't buy into this lie that God doesn't care. He doesn't care about me, otherwise he wouldn't be letting this thing happen. Well, he's experiencing it too, and he's watching it happen to you. So the, the, the belief can't be the, the fact that he doesn't care. In that doctor, parent, child, in the like, you know, doctor's office analogy, um, he sees the outcome like the doctor does, but he feels the pain like the parent does. And he feels the pain like the child. He's, he's all over it all the time. That brings me to my last little sub point here. And it's probably maybe the, maybe the biggest one for a lot, of, a lot of people. Is what does suffering tell us about God? You know? Like what does suffering tell us about the character of God? Who we are taught from, I mean we had like Camp Living Hope, our VBS this week. You know, and we're telling these kids like he loves you. He, it's, it's unconditional. He wants a relationship with you. You were created to live with him forever. There's like all this stuff because not every kid is ready to hear some of the things that I'm talking about today. But when you grow up and you, and, and then you encounter something, honestly, like suffering feels like betrayal. Suffering feels like, wait, the, 
the, the rock of my salvation has abandoned me. And that taps into the very first lie that is recorded in the Bible. When Adam and Eve were lied to you by the, by the, the enemy, the lie was, hey, God's not, it's essentially this, God is a liar. He's not who you think he is. He's withholding from you. Don't you feel stupid? He knows if when you eat of that fruit, you're going to become just like him and he doesn't want any rivals. I'm here to tell you, I'm, I'm here to like give you the backstage pass. That's what's really going on here. And that's a lot of times what suffering feels like is you're like, but I thought you were this way and yet you're letting me go through this. We need to feel the freedom to speak that out loud. You know, like we need to be able to pray and to know that we can go to God and we can say, I think, I feel like you have betrayed me. And you need to know that he's not going to get super angry with you. He's not going to crush you. He's not going to make the suffering worse. It's not going to hurt his feelings. He's created this, this free, this like freedom in that relationship to be honest with him like that. So we have to be able to say, God, I feel like you've, you've really let me down. But if we're going to do that, we also have to let him respond. Like, like we have to, we have to be open to what he wants to say in return. And that varies, you know, it's different person to person, case by case. But we have to be honest about how difficult this is. We can't suffer on an island. We've all seen people who were, they were around church for a while and they were involved in stuff and then something difficult happens and they just kind of roll out. They just kind of vanish. And if they are suffering in some way, and these are some of the thoughts that are rolling through there, they're doing that on an island or in a vacuum or apart from Christian community because we need people to surround us and ask the question, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And you need to be able to say, I feel like God has betrayed me. And they need to also be able to respond. We can't do this by ourselves. And we can't let our circumstances lie to us about something so significant. Because our circumstances are just our circumstances. Like that's... That's a part of that outward, like immediate happening in this moment, what you can see kind of stuff. But so many times we let, we let that speak more than it's supposed to. We let those things lie to us about who God is and who we are and who the church is and where our hope is found. And so, yeah, sometimes he chooses to let us suffer in the fire, but maybe he's looking at it maybe as, as like, well, I've already delivered you from the real problem. And maybe there's this, this suffering that he is allowing in your life. Maybe he's like the doctor and the parent who sees it and is like, okay, it's this, this is good. There's, this is going to be good. You're going to be glad this happened at some point. And even if that point isn't like until heaven, okay. We, as the children who are hurting, have to yield to the doctor and the parent in the room. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't like it, it's about humility and submission. Knowing that God is suffering with us. Okay, he's not this 
cold, heartless, whatever, who's just like, well, just deal with it, kid. He's with us, inside of us, hurting alongside of us. And that's what needs to whisper the truth to us about who God is. So, point number one, God is faithful. Point number two, you will face fire. Point three, God is able to deliver you from that fire. Point number four, sometimes he delivers you from the fire and sometimes he does not. Point number five uh, is God is faithful. Which was also point one. But that has to be, that has to, to like bookend this conversation, you know, has to bookend this subject. Because in John 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, in the world, you will have tribulation. He then says, but take heart. I have what? Overcome the world. Like take heart. Paul says it later on, do not lose heart. Like we don't, we don't give up. We don't quit. There is hope because there's more to this life than this. It's so easy for us to, to like we, we bury our heads in what's going on right now and to live as though this blip on the radar of a life on earth that we have, as if there's nothing past it. But he says, look, I've, I've overcome all the stuff that's, that's breaking you down. I've said these things to you that you may have peace. I'm not saying you, that you need to automatically have peace right now. But that's, that's where he wants to lead you into a peaceful place because he has overcome the world. And so through all of it, he will remain faithful and true to you and to me. And so our goal needs to be, okay, well, if he's going to be faithful through it all, then I'm going to be faithful through it all. That's where, that's where these three guys were standing before the king. They're like, uh, he, God's been super faithful to me, and we're going to be super faithful to him, and I don't care what you do to me. You can't touch me. You, can't, you, can, you cannot destroy what God has already secured. He is guarding us. And so if we burn to death in that fire, whatever. So who better to suffer than us? I know, I'm pushing the line. I'm already, I'm already over it. <laughs> but who, who better than the people of God to suffer, though, when you think about it? In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. There, there was something going on in his life that he was not specific about, which is kind of cool because that means we can just kind of plug ourselves into this, you know? So he kept asking God to take it away. So verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, whatever it is, that it would leave me. And this was God's response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, so here's Paul, kind of in that place, and maybe he's in that mode of like, I kind of I feel like you let me down. I've asked you three times, take this away. I know that you're able but uh, I, 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 this is what I want you to do. And God basically says, no. And then he drops this little gem on him. My grace is sufficient. He says, you think you need this to be taken out of your life. You think you need the suffering to end. But actually what you need, you already have. Which is my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
So Paul's like, okay, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. All right? In your suffering, that you find a way to let the Spirit dominate your circumstances to the point where you're like, okay, this, I'm actually kind of powerful right now. Like, I, I feel weak. I feel whatever, but I'm actually powerful right now. The power of Christ is resting on me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now look, Paul did not just like flip a switch and feel this way. He worked through his stuff to get here. This is seasoned veteran, like, hey, uh, let me write in my memoirs a little bit. That's that kind of Paul. I don't know what's going on here. I hate this thing. Then in 2 Corinthians 4, we've already read part of this, but he, he, he kind of sets up that, that part we read like in, in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, jars of clay, meaning like we're just these really fragile vessels. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Come on now. We have this treasure, this untouchable treasure that God is guarding in these really fragile, weak vessels to show that the power is not ours, but it is his. That's the whole point. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Our sufferings are this incredible like, like screen to display the, the, like the glory and the goodness of God. Who better to suffer than us, that when we are sitting there, in this difficult place and the doctors come in and you're just blessing the socks off of those doctors and nurses. Who better than us to go through that stuff? Who better than us to deal with the worst parts of life with the most hope and the, the most, well, everything, you know? Like, I, I can't put my senses together. So that the life of Jesus is manifested in us. I read you 1 Peter 4.12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, is the next verse, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That when you are suffering, you are connected to Jesus in a really special way because he suffered. To see it that way, it's like, cool, this is, this is how I get to connect with him. We connect with him through communion. Like That's like one of the tangible things that we do. And suffering is another way where you're like right there with him. And Paul said this. This is the last thing. From now on, this is Galatians six seventeen. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's like, yeah, I, I literally have scars on my body from the beatings that I took because of Christ. And all that does, uh, like I've looked at those, not as so much as telling the story of the beatings that I got, but look, I bear the marks of Christ. Look at the ways that I have connected with him, identified with him. Look at how his glory and power has been displayed in my life. Look at what hope is. 
Perhaps suffering is an indication of trust as a steward. Maybe God has said, hey, uh, you can handle this. There you go. Maybe as, as the natural progression of sin just slowly destroying the world is happening and whatever comes our way, God says, hey, I'm trusting you with that. 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 God is faithful. So I told you I wasn't going to give you any answers to anything because this is bigger this is bigger than us I mean so many pages have been written on this topic I'm hoping that today just just being honest about it and how hard it is uh, is helpful and this is going to meet everyone differently for some of you you're in the you're in the midst of something right now that you're that you're actively suffering. Some of you have been thinking about someone else through this whole thing. Some of you are maybe about to enter into a season. This is preparing you. Some of you have maybe come out of a season. This is helping you process it. That's what I love about the gathering of the church is that God's able to meet everyone where we are through, through this one set of rhythms. And so we kind of do this thing here at living hope where we, uh, there are all these different options of how to respond. So we'll have communion servers in a minute that will that will just be down here, and that's one option. If you want what Jesus' grace he's offering to you, you take the bread, you dip it in the cup. You, know. you can come and pray. You can kneel at the steps. We'll have some ministers here at the front that would love to pray with you. Uh, we'll sing. But today we're going to do something a little different, is we're not going to like move right into that. We're going we're gonna to just kind of sit here for a minute in, in this. Uh, and the reason why is because I, I, f- I feel like something like this is personal enough to where um, if we like immediately like stand and people start moving around, it's easy to kind of leave the moment behind. And so we're just going to sit in it. And uh, Brady and Sarah are going to, there's going to be a song that's kind of sung over us. Uh, it's not an active song. It's one that's really just meant to kind of help us uh, like pack this in a little bit. And then, um, then we'll go to another song. And when I stand everyone up, that's when communion will open and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't want to rush through it because a talk about suffering needs a little bit of, I don't know, sitting in the moment. And so I know it's been kind of long. I want to ask you just to sit tight for a few more, few more minutes. Um, it's a big topic and I couldn't, just couldn't do it really quickly. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and you stay seated, and uh, we'll just let Sarah kind of sing this over us a little bit, and you talk to the Lord about whatever it is that's going on with you, and then when we stand, then things will start moving a little bit. So let me pray for us. Father, a topic like this is, uh, is never light or uh, quick, but it's so important. You came and you told us the truth. Jesus, you told us that we would have trouble. You showed us how to handle that, handle suffering by modeling it for us as you walk through it. But admittedly, it's difficult to um, 
to process this and kind of get to the point where Paul was at the end of his life. And so I ask that in these moments, as we're just kind of sitting and talking to you and listening, that you'd help everyone here just to know what the next step in front of them is. Whether that's to pray or to listen or to cry or um, to write down some, some notes, some things that you're stirring. I mean, it could be anything for any of us, but this, uh, yeah, this, this meets us somewhere. And so in these next few minutes, God, help us just to sit and to receive.